Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And this week we're going to talk about the three questions to ask yourself in the sales process. Mm, I like <laughs> this. I like this one. Yeah. So this was this is a, a Rochelle original from the is it something you wrote on the daily list and got uh, feedback on? It's both actually. Uh, yeah, it's my weekly and the daily. Double dipping. Yeah. Always uh, on Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. So let's talk about these three questions. I suppose we could, uh, I mean, these questions are not questions that you would address to the client. The why conversation that we always talk about, you know, like, why would you want to do this? Why now? Why me? Those sorts of things. The, these are questions that you should answer for yourself that are sort of, uh, I would call them higher level strategic questions that where you've kind of gotten beyond the point where you're like, yeah, I can help this person. There's probably a reasonably good fit here, but these feel farther up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. It's kind of like you're not at the point where you're feeling like, Oh, I have to take any client just to keep the lights on. You know, you're past that and you already know. I mean, for me with these questions, it's a given that this is someone who you can help get to their transformation. You can help them. And you know that because obviously if you didn't know that you wouldn't keep continuing talking to them. These are more the kinds of questions that are going to help advance you, your business and your authority. And I think we get into trouble when we don't ask these kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of making explicit these sorts of things. Like it's outside of the money, like money's nice. Everybody needs money. But these are kind of beyond that. It's like, let's put it like this. Let's say you have three prospects that you're talking to and you only can handle one. These are the kinds of questions that I could imagine using to figure out which one is, is going to get the spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if you're trying to figure out that you want to start something new, you want to do something different and you have to make time to do that. So it might be a situation where you say, I'm going to say no to this client because I need this time to do something else. Sure. Yeah. Great point. All right, cool. So without further ado, why don't we start with the first question? One of the things I always like to, to ask myself is what resources will it take to serve this client? What is required? And, you know, when you start to think about that and we're past the point of fit, right? So you start to think about, well, do I need to do implementation in addition to strategy? And I've really never done implementation before. Or do I need to pull in some contractors to help me with pieces of this? Do I want to do that? The classic I, I hear a lot is people who build a business based on a lot of writing for their clients. And so then they come to a decision point of, do I hire more writers on contract? Do I leverage them? And what does that look like? And how does it change how I work? How does it change how I make money? If I'm just me, myself, and I, I'm billing out and I get money back. If all of a sudden I'm using contractors, some of that money has to flow to them. Is does that, am I pricing it so that that works? It's that, it's that bigger question of what is this really going to take to get this work done? Right. Yeah. I remember one time you saying that you had to fly to New York to run a video shoot, for example. It's like a non-trivial investment of time and money. Yeah. 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 
but I mean, I did it for a, a very logical reason. It was a special client. And I have to admit, I did love doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I did love it. But yeah, that's not something I would do all that often. Right. And, and it's it was an expensive undertaking for the client too. So yeah. Yeah. So it's, a, but it's a good point. Like we, by and large, what we're selling is uh, our time or the, the co- our cost is our time getting eaten up on behalf of a client. Uh, but there can be, point being, there can be other expenses that would be incurred on an engagement. So it could be contractors, it could be flights. Um, that was certainly, when I was doing a lot of advisory retainers, that was usually the big differentiator between uh, whenever I did have different fees between one client and the next, usually the amount of travel was the was the differentiator. Because I would, I would always roll that into my fee and not have it not be nickel and dimed by like, oh, I can't believe you flew first class or whatever. There could be different requirements for different engagements when you're running the show. And if you, you know, you can be flexible uh, to meet people where they are, where what their needs are. There could be potentially big swings in cost from client A to client B. Yes. And, and cost, external cost, but also cost in terms of your time. One of the things I'm thinking is when I first started doing this this work, there were a lot of people who weren't really comfortable doing this remotely, right? They wanted to see me. And that, one, it limited who I could serve, but it also really cut into my time because I was working with individuals and they didn't have huge budgets. So I started just literally Xing out anybody who started with, well, and then you can come to my office and we can meet and we can talk about this and we can do this. I'm like, no, that's not what this is. This is highly focused. It's strategy. Now, if it's coaching, that's something else, but I still don't coach in person. So yeah, so I found for me, um, that question would eliminate people who put a high value on having me physically there for the work that we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not that being in person is a bad thing. It's it's a no. great thing, but it's, you just got to draw boundaries around how you want to run your life. Well, and it, when you live in a city like L.A. and substitute, you know, Miami, New York, Chicago, is like yeah. everything is an hour away. Right. Even if you think it's 10 minutes, it's at least an hour at away. Least. So, yeah. Yeah, so you you add a couple of hours for every time you have to go meet, and you have to you have to charge for that in some way, mm-hmm. um, or you wind up making a lot less money, or working spending a lot of time in traffic, or <laughs> in an airport. Yeah, and resenting it. Yes, exactly. Okay, so what what sort of resources will this client require? So that's number one. So what's number two? Well, I, we sort of touched on it a little bit in what we've been talking about is, does it allow you to work from your genius zone, right? And so it's, it's we're not talking about money now. We're talking about, does it allow you to work the way you really work best? And the example I used before about strategy and implementation, if you're an implementer, does it really make sense to do strategy and vice versa? I mean, unless you're wanting to veer in that direction and this is an opportunity to do that. It's, it's what part of you are they using? One of the things that struck me one time is I had a, a consultant come to me and they, they were a referral and we started to talk through it. And I mean, she really sounded like a great fit. And then it turns out she wanted to do, she wanted to record everything. 
And I was sort of taken aback for a minute because I, I have a homework process. And so she wanted to record it. And I thought, well, okay, people learn and interact in different ways. And so it took me a little while. And then I realized, oh, okay, so what we have to do then is she can record, but I have to get it transcribed because I'm not going to listen to that. It's too long. It's going to take too long. It's going to ramble. I need a, I need a transcription. So I had to think about all of those things before deciding if I wanted to work with her. As it turns out, she did not choose me, <laughs> so it never came to that. But I, I wanted to think through that because I thought, well, a lot of people have trouble with with writing and would rather speak or be on video or audio. And that's I, I can work with that, but I had to come up with a way for me to be able to work from my genius zone, and it's not listening to the audio. It just, right. yeah, it just do, doesn't do that, which is ironic since. We're doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> well, hey, rev.com, 10 cents a minute. It's very, very good transcriptions. I can think of students, for example, who wanted to collaborate using different tools than what I usually use, which sounds a little bit like your example. It was surprisingly difficult, you know, because <laughs> uh, even something as simple as, you know, because I have all these processes set up and systems in place that have certain assumptions baked into them. And one of them was that for collaboration on long documents, we use Google Docs. I had one student who was very anti-Google, didn't want to have a Google account, which I can understand. So we tried something else, and it was it was surprisingly complicated. I don't know if that's the same kind of... Um, it feels like it, though. Because it, so there comes a question where you say, am I being rigid... Or have I developed these processes to be efficient? They work for my ideal client base and they're reflected in the cost of what I'm offering. So you might say, well, yeah, I use whatever tools people want, but guess what? Instead of, I mean, I'm just going to throw out a number. Instead of $5,000, it's ten. And to me, that's a different, it's a different kind of a sale. Right. Yeah. And it's weird though, because the money wouldn't have changed anything for me. Like more money is nice, but there's this always this feeling of like, my feet stuck in mud, like trying to do something that should have been simple. It was like having my hands tied behind my back for a reason. And I agreed to it. So it worked out fine, but it was, it's, it just occurred to me. Would you do um, it again? No way. Mm -hmm. Okay. No. And there's your answer. Yeah. Yeah. Another, th and, and there was a similar one. This is going to sound really silly, but it, someone was an international student, international from a meeting outside the U S and couldn't use my normal payment mechanism. So he got the money to me in a different way, which <laughs> messed me up repeatedly, which seems like it, it seems like it shouldn't matter. It's just one payment. Why would that matter? But it just, it, he just kept falling through the cracks with things like, oh, the scheduling software is expecting to see a payment in Stripe, you know, and automatically set up deadlines and, and none of that, all that had to be manual which was fine. And I probably would do that one again, because it was, I just like, didn't think about it. It's just like, yeah, whatever. The money's the money. We're not starting until the money's here anyway. So what difference does it make? <laughs> it turns out it made a well, bunch of differences. Yeah. Well, that's like a backroom thing. And I yeah. mean, some people might argue that Google Docs is backroom, but I don't see it that way. No, that was very it's how you're sharing. Yeah. It's how you're sharing information. Right. Yeah. The, the payment thing was definitely back room compared to Google Docs. Google Docs is like, a, for people who are working remotely, that's like your, that's your table. You know, that's where you're throwing sticky notes all over the place. And 
That's mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a place. Well, and there's this line, and I, I don't know, we each have to draw it in our, in our own way, where it's like, am I being rigid, too rigid, or have I developed these systems because they work and they allow me to serve my client base in the best possible way? And the way you know that is when you would say no to doing it again. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's your answer. Right. And so another, there's a, an old joke comes to mind when I think about this genius zone question, which is that uh, a surgeon is qualified to pierce ears at the mall, but that's not a good use of her time. And it kind of reminds me of, of that in the sense that someone could come to me or you and ask for assistance with something that maybe we did a podcast episode on or something that we're capable of doing, you know, like, but we're just, it's like, yeah, I could do that and it probably would help you, but it's like a surgeon piercing ears. It's like, uh, it's not really my genius zone, you know? If, yes. If, right. Well, and once they, once they hear you and they decide they like you, I mean, I used to get these really odd referrals, um, out of a networking group I belonged to in LA. And one of them, Oh, I so wanted to, there was a part of me that so wanted to say yes, but it, it had to do with, um, with brand strategy for a restaurant. And it was a very cool restaurant with a celebrity chef and the whole thing. And I'm like, no, I don't, what do I know about, I mean, a foodie, I know what I like about them, but there are people who specialize in brand and PR and marketing for restaurants. You you don't want me. That's not the, no, I'm not even going to talk to them because that's sort of setting them up to think that what I have to say matters about this topic. I mean, it just doesn't. As I said, there was a part of me that thought, oh, that would be so fun. But no, that's a, that's a rabbit hole, and it would be doing a disservice to them. It was not my expertise. Right. If you've recognized in the past that clients tend to lead to more clients you know, that are similar, then you're, you're really going down a rabbit hole because of what happens when you do that one, and maybe it's successful, and then you start getting referrals over there. And like, if you were, didn't specifically decide that you were going to pivot into restaurants and it's like, uh, it's like, then you don't want to use it in your marketing because you don't want to attract other restaurants. And it's not, um, yeah, I mean, that's just not in your zone, right? It's just, it's it, as exciting and tempting and fun as it might appear. If you're, if you, if it doesn't fit with your strategy, it's a distraction. Yeah. Now, if I was just starting out in my career and I thought, oh, yeah, I love restaurants. I love to eat. I love the party scene. I want to do this. I mean, I, I might have taken a flyer, assuming that they would take a flyer on somebody who you know didn't have that specific experience. So I don't want to discourage people from exploring new things. But to me, it was very clear that I was not the right choice for them. I, I, didn't, I didn't want the referral. Yeah. And to me, the litmus test, like if someone, if a student came to me in a situation like this, my question would be like, have you been tr- seeking out restaurants or did they just fall in your lap? Because if it just fell in your lap, you obviously weren't planning on, this is not something you've been, been intentionally planning. So I'm gonna, I, I vote no, you know. It's a slippery slope, I think, because there are things that are, that really butt up right against your expertise and your zone. And you might say yes. There might be something that sort of pushes you to yes, something small, and it winds up making sense and working for you. But what happens, I think, sometimes is that we say yes a little too easily because we want to help. Yeah, you know that's, that's how true. we're wired, and we're like, oh God, that guy, he needs me. 
he needs me to help him. But then you then you step back and you say, oh well, uh, that he can't use Google Docs. He can't meet me in in a time zone that works. I mean, you start to add those things up, and you go, you know, I think the right thing to do is to say no. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's hard sometimes, I think, but we have to do it. Yeah, and it well, and it's it's blurry, like genius zone. Like, what is that? It's a concept. It's, a, it's sort of a loosely defined, and probably everyone's mind, it's a little bit different. So, yeah, it's always like a decision making process. But add those things up, and I want to hammer on that. Like, be aware of your innate desire to please and innate desire to help, because you know this is a service business, and I I feel like it attracts people who are wired that way. So probably the majority of people listening. Um, unless they learn the hard way, probably by default, they have a tendency to want to say yes, not because they need the business, but because they do want to help the person, even if the person is probably not, maybe it's a little bit too far outside of the boundaries. But it's definitely something to ask yourself. And that genius zone, I mean, I just want to hit on that for a minute. In, In my definition, it's when you're firing on all cylinders. It's like, or the the famous book called Flow. You know, when you find this thing that you lose track of time because you're doing it. And I have some coaching clients that are like that where I love it. It's I get in there and if I'm not watching the clock, I have no idea what time it is because we're in there, we're solving things, we're addressing issues, we're talking about things. I mean, it's like every fiber in my being is alive. That's, that's what I'm talking about. And so, and everybody's genius zone is different. That's what, that's the glory of it. And so it's finding those people, those projects, those ways of working that just do that for you. And for me, you know, sitting in traffic for two hours um, <laughs> or, or flying six hours to, you know, meet for an hour is, you know, that's, that's not my genius zone. Yeah. You don't feel fulfilled and self-actualized <laughs> parked on the highway. I know. It sounds like it's all about me. But it's, yeah, it's it's finding that, that zone. Right. And, and when you're in a zone like that or when you find someone that you click with like that, that's good for them too. So it's not, it's not totally selfish. But hey, I mean, back up for a second. If, if you're creating a job for yourself or a life or a career, however you want to want to frame it, why not? pick one and make choices that are going to put you in that awesome flow state more and more of the time. Like you should be, ideally, one would like to think that as they progressed in their career, they'd be getting more and more and more of that, but it's not going to happen automatically. You need to intentionally seek out the kinds of people who are going to uh, click with you in that way. And, and man, when it happens, it's like, it's addictive. It's like, give me more of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I left big firm consulting is that the higher up I went, the more I was supervising things. So I would spend my day with people coming into my office, telling me what they were working on or showing me stuff, getting my approval before we shared it with the client. I'm like, really? <laughs> this is how I'm going to spend my days? Is that how I pictured it? Um, whereas when you're running your own business, you get to choose. And yeah, you have to do stuff you don't like, I mean, you know, welcome to the real world, but the most, the most benefit you get out of doing this is the most amount of time you spend in that genius zone. That's the, that's the reward. 
Yeah, and I think to let's just flip this around real quick. I've had a couple of conversations lately with folks who've come to me who are doing really well. They're making money, but they are buried in client work because they're terrible at saying no, and 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 they know it, but it's kind of like, but they still do it, and they get super busy, and that eventually leads to burnout. And you know, if it's not if they don't do something about it, they'll definitely burn out. And, you know, I, I probably six people I've talked to in the last, I wrote an email about it the other day because it's for some reason, I, I, you know, a bunch of people were asking me about the same thing recently. And like burnout's bad. It's really bad. It, it can be really hard to recover from. It can take a long time. You make a lot of really bad decisions. Uh, it's like an unplanned sabbatical or it's terrible. So, you know, that's the, taken to an extreme, if you were not asking yourself this second question, taken to an extreme, you're probably going to be less choosy. You're going to end up with too much work and worst case scenario, just get super burnt out and be like, you know what, I'm just going to go be a garbage man or something where I don't have to think as much. Not that garbage men don't have to think, but you know what I mean? You well, know, shift, shift is something that's <laughs> perhaps not as abstract as talking to people over the phone or whatever. Well, there's burnout and there's also checking out, which is sort of when you start to go, um, maybe I just don't care about that so much. So maybe it's not that they're working so much that they're burning out, but they're starting to just go, well, I don't care. And it's not even something they may say out loud to themselves, but it's a feeling. That's what can happen if you become a martyr, right? If if you push so hard for your clients that there is no you there. Yep. Yeah, I've definitely I've definitely seen that happen. You're just like, whatever, dude. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've been in the same spot myself. I mean, I want to help people. And somebody comes to me and says, I'm stuck on here and I want to be here, it's I want to do what I can to help them. And that doesn't always mean that I'm going to work with them. But there's that that thing that we want to help. And I we don't want to get rid of that. That's what makes people in this profession so wonderful, right? And wanting to help, wanting to serve, it, being a servant leader is a great thing. But the flip side is you have to take care of yourself. Or as Adam Grant would say, you have to be otherish right? You give, but you have a very clear set of goals and boundaries so that you, I don't want to say protect, but you invest in yourself without giving it all away. Right. I mean, like if your marketing was firing in all cylinders, you're going to attract more people than you can assist. It's certainly one-on-one in a one-on-one way. At some point, you will have to draw the line. Like if you get, if, if everything works and your business grows, then you will have to say no more. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it just, it takes a little, you know, it's a muscle, right? Mm-hmm. It needs it needs a little exercise. Right, I agree. All right, so I think we probably hammered on that one hard enough. You think? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about number three. All right, so the, the third thing is, how does this particular work, this particular client advance your authority and that's a I mean that's a much bigger question I can imagine you meaning this in a couple of ways perhaps perhaps all of the ways I'm thinking so what can you unpack it a little bit yeah so I think the first question is what how does this advance your skill set 
How, what are you going to learn on this? Are, how are you pushing the envelope even a little bit with this assignment? In other words, if it's the same assignment you've done 50 times, what makes this different? Is it more complex? Is the presenting set of circumstances thornier than usual? Is the client very high profile? Because, I mean, let's not lie, you know, a high profile client can push you into a platform that you didn't have before. So it's, it's what are those things and are you pushing yourself enough when you say yes to a new project? Because you're past the point, when you're asking this question, you're past the point of going, oh, you know, I, I hope I can pay rent this month. I hope I can buy some, some strawberries at the market. Um, this is where your time is limited, it's valuable, and you have to decide how to spend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I feel like we touched a little bit on this um, from the other side when we were talking about the restaurant example, where uh, just just a super practical example, I get people uh, who are they're sort of in between the, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent, and I'm cherry picking opportunities. They're sort of in the middle, and they will have some available capacity and They'll have like a client opportunity come along that'd be a big payday. They can totally do it. They're completely capable of executing whatever the assignment is. But it's outside of like their target market or something like that. So that that's the exact example that you used where it was like, ah, oh, this opportunity fell in your lap for a kind of client that you're absolutely not specialized in. And I mean, you probably could have done it. You probably could have done a, a good job. And, but there, but you were aware of the fact that there are other people who probably could do a better job because they specialize in it, but Hey, uh, maybe I'll just do it. Maybe someone in your shoes is like, eh, I've got nothing to do for the next three weeks and I could use whatever vacation money or I want to put in a pool. So yeah, I'll just do it. And so they've, they come to me with in that kind of a situation and just from a practical standpoint, I'm like, look, you can do a good job at this and do it, but recognize that it's only for the money. There's no, you're not creating any momentum for the business. It's not going to, it's not going to add to your flywheel effect. It's, you're not going to want a testimonial from them. You're not going to want, it's just money. You're doing it for the money. And if that's, if you're cool with that and you want to do it just for the money and, you know, not take any referrals from them, not put a case study on your website and not build any of that other, all those things that would advance uh, your business, at least at a marketing level in a small way. It doesn't contribute to the momentum. It doesn't, it's like throwing you a little bit off center, throwing your, your flywheel off center a little bit. You know, your flywheel will survive. It's not, it's not going to wobble off its base from one engagement like that. But you have to recognize if you're going to do it that it's strictly for the money and it's a very mercenary thing to do. And unless it's strategic, and I feel like we already said this, unless it's a strategic decision that you made to start broadening into that space, then it's really just about the dollars. So if you're cool with that, then maybe go ahead, but uh, tend to avoid stuff like that. Because if nothing else, the opportunity cost, like something, something in that three weeks or three months that you're doing that work that's going to do nothing for your business but give you a check then you won't be able to take on somebody who walks through the door in two days that's right in your genius zone perfect kind of client that you'd like and you say ah, i can start three months from now and they're like yeah we'll find someone else 
So, you know, I like I like your suggestion. If if you don't want a testimonial, if you go into this work and you don't want a testimonial from that client when you're done, uh, that's a no. That's a no, right? Yeah, yeah you should really or, be. Yeah, I mean, as you said, you may do it to put in a new swimming pool or something. I mean, I get that, but it's in terms of the strict definition of building authority. The answer is no. Yeah, that is a good litmus test because this. I specifically said to myself. I'm a software developer. For years, I've been saying, you know, I help software developers increase their profitability, you know, price coaching for uh, software developers. And over time, as my organically, I've attracted a lot of different kinds of professions who tend to bill by the hour. And it's probably only about half developers on my list now. As an experiment, I took on a couple of different ones, a photographer, a marketer, a copywriter. And with intention, I specifically decided this year, in 2020, to start moving into those other areas. But it's on purpose. Like I thought about it ahead of time. I have reason to believe that I can do a good job because I've done a couple of tests. So when those come through the door, I'm not going to immediately be like, mm, no, I, I wouldn't know how to help a lawyer. I wouldn't know how to help an accountant or a copywriter or designer or develop, you know, whatever. I think it's important to know that that decision was made first, not like, oh, like there's all these, you know, this opportunity came through the door, this one opportunity came through the door, and eh, might as well do it. I haven't got anything else going on. And and I'm, I really love that you called that out, the testimonial thing, because I never thought about it like that, but it's a great litmus test, because now I would want a testimonial from a copywriter or a photographer or a marketer or a designer, because that, you know, and, and it's because it's a an intentional broadening of the target market that I have historically uh, been serving. Yeah, it's in it, the word intentional is is really important here because the road to authority is intentional and you can have some happy accidents along the way, like the things that got you into whatever the thing is that you're interested in or the particular niche that you're serving. Accidents, happy accidents are wonderful, but you need to do it with intention. You need to be moving forward and and asking those kinds of questions because when we don't, we you know go down rabbit holes, we get sidetracked. At least when we make the decision, we're doing it with our eyes wide open. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're not getting pulled one inch in every direction all year. Yeah, you're I mean, making... that just sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so many people, it's just so many people do it. It's like uh, there's this, um, you know, we've talked about it a million times, but that the fear of making the decision. So you, by making decisions like these, you are of who you would say yes to. Who's in your genius zone? Who who do I want to work with that would that I can help, but it also is going to grow my business. When you get really specific about those kinds of things, what do I want to do? Who do I want to do it for? By definition, you're cutting out a whole 90% of the rest of the possibilities of people you could work for, things that you could do for them. So by definition, it feels like you have smaller a, a smaller pool of potential opportunities. But the reality is that the exact opposite ends up happening, or at least it's, it's been my experience. I don't have scientific data to prove it, but I see it happen over and over again when you say no to all of these other potential things that you're capable of doing for different kinds of, of clients, all of a sudden more opportunities show up. It seems counterintuitive, but it, it happens 
where because all of a sudden people you're more memorable people can actually outsiders can actually understand what the heck you do because it's so specific that it helps with all of your marketing in sales because people are like they automatically trust you more because you're specialized in this thing that they need you get more word of mouth and again the prospect trusts you more because someone they trust recommended you your marketing's more persuaded so if your your competition fades into the distance because they're just like squishy soggy general whatever they do and you start to becomes an apples and oranges comparison you're like you're the only name in the discussion the sales close more quickly and the projects are more effective because they trust you more and yeah it's it's, a big old circle yeah it's great it's a virtuous cycle like ratchets up but yeah you got to make a decision yeah yeah i mean just made me think of something from i think it was grade school where they had a magnet and they had all these little filings underneath and something else. And you'd put the magnet on and all the filings would whoosh, attach to the magnet. That's what it is. There is that, that source, that, that thing that happens, an energy that happens when people recognize you for what it is that you're doing. And you've got clarity of purpose and all the things Jonathan said, they keep, it, it becomes like a virtuous cycle. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps going. And the key is to be intentional. Yeah. Yeah. It's like magic. Like when you get, when it gets working, it's, it's like magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing too, is we we're talking before the show about these three things. These are also the kinds of things you can ask yourself when making other decisions. I was working with a client recently who is starting a podcast And it was a big undertaking. And one of the things I I said to this person is, um, think about the podcast like a client in the sense of this, that you have to make time for it, right? It's client work. It has to get done. And maybe that means, not necessarily, but maybe it means you say no to another new client opportunity if it doesn't allow you time to dedicate to this thing that you've made a choice on. And and you could make that same argument, whether it's you want to start a course, you want to write a book, whatever that thing is, has to have a place inside, you know, your workday. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it. I like that. I think because we're all so wired, like when the client says jump, you know, we're all like, yes, client, got to do that, got to do that. And other stuff falls away. But when you start thinking about our other requirements, like writing a blog post daily or weekly or doing a podcast or whatever, I mean, you treat those things the same way that you would a client. Yeah. it's. I mean, I know from personal experience that for me, that has always been a schedule time in my calendar to do something that, that only I'm accountable for. And it just never would get done. Like way back when I was doing much more execution, like I'm talking like 2004, 2005, like when I had a lot of labor-y hands work to do for clients, then, you know, you'd be really busy and just the, the stuff, whether it was going to the gym or balancing my bookkeeping, and it would just get pushed down, 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 lower priority. And I always used to notice that... I could always tell when I was getting too busy because I stopped going to the gym. Like, oh, I haven't gone to the gym in the week, so I'm doing something wrong. And so it was cool. It was like a little litmus test for me, but it, did get, but it didn't really help me get out of that spiral. 
uh, the thing that did help me, and I don't know if this would maybe be helpful for people listening who are like me and, and have a really hard time keeping appointments with myself. I'm terrible at that. What I'm great at is leveraging my, uh, I don't know what to call it. I don't know if it's desire to please or to not let people down or something. And I'll do these public things that if I don't show up, people will notice. Like 10 books in 2020. Yeah. Like, the, I mean, that having that, having that, but still even my daily list, like when somebody accidentally gets, when an email bounces, like I send an email to somebody and their mailbox is full or whatever, and it bounces, they automatically get unsubscribed. That's just the way drip works. And they'll email me and say, Hey, I haven't gotten a message from you in a couple of days. Did you stop doing those or something? Like, like I know that people are out there waiting, like looking forward to that. So like that pulls me it creates more of that client feeling where there's someone who I could let down or, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so it's that, accountability of yeah, a different sort. It's a, Right. It's not like an accountability partner. It's like an accountability mob. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would have a psychotic break if I stopped. It would be like a major, a major problem. Like after developing a I shouldn't say problem. It would be a major shift. Like after developing what I consider to be an extremely positive habit, I wouldn't begin to know how to break it. It's like not even, I can't, I can't even imagine. So anyway, the point, the point being like, I know that for people listening who are bad at keeping appointments with themselves or saying, you know, like uh, something like a podcast is great because there's an audience. So they're going to notice that you didn't come out with an episode last week. So that extra pressure is the kind of thing that I've found for myself will will keep me up an extra hour to just get it done because it's easier, even though it could be torture and I, all I want to do is go to bed. It's just enough motivation to get me to just do it, get it out there, publish it, and then go to sleep. And next week, be better about it, plan ahead, get it done the day before so you don't have to have that that extra sleepless night. Stephen Pressfield calls it going pro, right? It's, it's that, that thing of knowing you have an audience, whether that's a client or a bunch of clients or a podcast or video audience or emails, it's, you know, that they're counting on you on some level, they're counting on you. And that's being a professional is delivering that. And I think, cause I believe the people that are listening to this are all have that, that going pro mentality. But I think that the more we can apply that to things, it's like we trick ourselves into getting things done that are hard, right? right? <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. I've found a way to trick myself into consistently cranking stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, somebody asked me once, you know, how, how do you write, you know, every week for, it's just more than 10 years now. And it's like, because I have a habit. Because I made a commitment to myself. And, you know, is anybody going to die if they don't get my emails? No, I'm not a brain surgeon. But it's it's part of being a pro. It's it's You do it because you do it. It's it's part of the quote-unquote job. And I don't, I don't consider myself that I have a job. But I, I have work that I do. And that's part of it. And I've made a commitment. And I love doing it. And I'm not going to stop. Right. Yeah, it gets to a point where you just love it. It's like when people ask me now, they're like, how do you, how do you write everything? You know, someone new will get on my list and say, are you really writing these? Or this is like a canned <laughs> sequence. And I'm like, nope, it's really me. Like, do you queue them up in advance? Nope. I just write them every day. How do you do that? It's like, I don't know. How do you take a shower every day? I enjoy it. It's like, 
just a thing I do every day. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, and not, you're not going to enjoy every single thing that you consider part of being a professional. Okay. So don't think because you don't enjoy it, that somehow there's something wrong with you. There isn't, there's stuff that we do to get things done. But the, the key is to, to keep thinking about being intentional. Is this building my authority or how can it build my authority? What aspect of this, whatever this is, whether it's a client project or a side project you're looking at, how does this advance where I want my market authority to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, I suppose there's even, you can extend this into the future and say, if you're attracting people who aren't like 10 out of 10 on these things three answers, you can start to ask yourself, well, who would be a 10 out of a 10? And how come they're not calling me? And what could I do to maybe get on their radar and use it as, as, um, you know, instead of a litmus test, use it more like a compass and say like, huh, okay. Um, for people who, if there's a gap there and you're like, huh, I don't know, for some reason I keep thinking this, Erica showed me this video the other day of a guy who is a tattoo artist who you wouldn't you wouldn't generally consider tattoo artists to be like extremely high paid individuals i guess uh, oh, probably, some of them are yeah, well that's what the, this guy's on tv like real tv because he did lebron james tattoo and so on and a bunch of other famous people whose names i can't remember because i not don't follow sports but he's basically like the tattoo artist to the nba like that's a pretty good position to have as a tattoo yeah, artist. Yeah, you think? Yeah, you know, he's like flying around on private jets doing tattoos. So the reason I brought that up is because uh, of this idea of like, if, if you're not attracting people who are giving you 10 out of 10 on these three questions, these higher self-actualization and fulfillment types of questions, well, why not? And who would? And how can you, how can you help them? Like, how could you make them aware of the assistance that you could provide? whether you're a tattoo artist or, you know, you're teaching leadership classes. We've talked about this a lot. It's about alignment. And I like the compass metaphor because what you're trying to do is you just keep getting closer and closer to true north. And especially if you're doing a lot of content marketing, you're writing or speaking or podcasting or video or whatever, um, you can adjust that pretty quickly, actually. If you can step back dispassionately and look at what you've you're putting out there, you may be able to see the holes where you can tighten them up to attract the people that, you know, you want to say yes to. Mm -hmm. Right. Cool. I'm feeling more self-actualized right now. You know, so am I. working. (laughs) So fulfilled. (laughs) The California woo-woo is rubbing off on me. It's just my little contribution to today, Jonathan. (laughs) I'm sure other people have gotten in the same spot, but I have myself where I'll be saying yes to people that have an interesting problem and it's, and I'm like, yes, I can help them and we're in alignment and they're in my sweet spot. Yeah. But they're not necessarily moving my authority forward. If you do that often enough, I mean, you do it here and there, but if you do it often enough, it becomes a pattern. And all of a sudden, you're not on the road to authority anymore. You're on this meandering path. And, you know, you may be happy doing work you love, but if you're not building that authority and you want to do that, you need to do that intentionally. Right. Yeah. Have a bigger impact. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. I think that's probably a good stopping point. Yeah. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. 
And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.